You're listening to the Warrior Priest Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. This is the Warrior Priest Podcast, midweek debrief number 11, and I am the Warrior Priest, Donovan Riley. Before I begin, please, if you enjoy the podcast, uh, subscribe if you haven't already. Share a link to the podcast with others that you think may benefit from the podcast. And if you want, support the podcast at Anchor FM. Otherwise, let's dive into it. This week, I wanted to read something by Mia Kang. M-I-A-K-A-N-G. And Mia is a model. She is, I think she works for IMG Models and hosts uh, Spy Games, I think, on Bravo TV, she says in her Instagram um, bio. But she's also a Muay Thai practitioner. And she's been very open and public about her struggles with eating disorders and body dysmorphia as a consequence of modeling and that world and the culture around it. And just the way that she grew up being self-conscious about herself, her body, and so forth, and, and the detrimental consequences it had for her emotionally and intellectually, and that it was through discovering Muay Thai that it helped change her appreciation for her body and for how she sees herself and how she thinks about herself and how she thinks about the world in general, especially around this whole issue of beauty and the ideal of beauty and what it can do, especially to young women. And so I wanted to read something that she wrote this week and then use that to segue into something that I wrote yesterday and posted to Instagram on the Warrior Priest podcast page and on my personal page about learning to live and focusing on living in the tension and holding the tension uh, in life's dichotomies, that it's not an either or most of the time, but it's a both and. And the both and of life is often this dichotomy or this paradox. And I think this is why so often people tend to prefer to be binary in their thinking and the way they see the world and dividing everybody up into team red and team blue and the haves and the have-nots and the yeses and the noes and me versus you and they versus us kind of mentality versus noticing and accepting that life isn't in either or most of the time, but a both and. So let's read what Mia had to say first on the issue of self-care, depression, and fighting and then uh, move into this whole conversation about dichotomies, because I think what Mia has to say helps flesh out the whole matter. She writes, Some of us may be completely debilitated by the current situation. You may just be trying to make it through each day, or spend all day just trying to keep it together. Days might be weeks. Some of us may be thriving through this and she, for those of you listening in the future, it's April 8th, 2020. She's referring to the coronavirus, COVID-19, and the shelter-at-home order that pretty much everybody in the world is under right now. And so she writes about this then. Some of us may be thriving through this. You may be preoccupied with work, kids. You have no time to dwell. You may enjoy having time to catch up on reading and those online French lessons that you paid for but never got around to. If you are anything like me, Some days you are up, and some days you are down. Some days I am jumping out of bed, happy, cooking, working out, and actually feel like there are not enough hours in the day. Some days I don't want to wake up or get out of bed. Today, I did not leave bed or function. On my down days, I look at Instagram, and I see people cooking, dancing on TikTok, working out, laughing. It makes me feel shit because I cannot find any positive productiveness to work with within myself. But I scroll past, 
and to remind myself that these posts are not for me today. But I am always going to encourage people to shoot for positive and productive. I think anything good for yourself is productive. Introspectiveness, skin care, feeding yourself, a shower, sleeping, laughing, smiling. All productive things during this time. But if you cannot, if you are having that down time or you feel helpless or lack the capacity, know that that is okay. It is normal. I am a naturally depressive person. It is a conscious effort for me to be positive. With my eating disorder, it is a continuous fighting to not fall back to my old ways. Sometimes I crash, and I need to stop and recharge. I want to encourage you and myself to keep fighting whatever your fight is. Fight to get yourself from the bad day to the good day. Fight to better yourself and take care of yourself. Maybe even reading this will be the first domino to fall in the chain reaction that ignites positivity and lets tomorrow be better, be a better day. You got this. And we, we got each other. And again, that's Mia Kang, model, host, Muay Thai practitioner. And I like what she has to say there because especially, and I don't think it's just depressive people or people that are struggling with clinical depression, let's say, or people that struggle with eating disorders, body dysmorphia, anything of that sort. But rather, especially during times like this when you're sheltering at home and you're quarantined, you're cut off from your social circles, let's say, you're cut off from your routine and your schedules, you're cut off from your habits and your, your outlets, it's easy, for example... To say with Jocko, don't rely on motivation that comes and goes, relies a lot on your emotional state at the moment, and instead rely on discipline. And it's easy to say that when you have a support structure around you. It's easy to say that when you are locked into your schedule and you're grinding. But then when everything comes to a screeching halt like it has the last month, and you don't have those people around you, let's say, you don't have that schedule, you can't go to the gym, you can't train like you're used to, you don't have access to the gym or your exercise equipment or your instructors or your training partners or whatever it might be. Just again, that whole support network that you have formed and, and chosen to surround yourself with that maybe like myself, you appreciated it and you were grateful for it every day, but at the same time, simultaneously, you took it for granted that it would always be there. Because as much as pundits and political journalists like to point fingers and demand that somebody be held responsible for the situation with COVID-19, the fact of the matter is nobody's ever prepared for a pandemic. No one can ever be prepared for the consequences of a September 11th, for example, or any other kind of terrorist attack on that level. No one can be prepared for a depression or, or an economic recession, the likes of which we've seen before and which we may see again as a consequence of this pandemic. And you can plan and you can prepare and you can scheme and you can have your models and everything and predict how things are going to spin out. But at the end of the day, what I think I see coming from other people and what I've reflected on myself is the very, very fragile, thin membrane of security and safety that we all agree to participate in 
that we all agree socially, culturally, that we are safe, at least in the United States, for example. We're safe. For the, we're relatively safe. And we're secure. And we go about our day. We don't really have to worry about being attacked. We don't have to worry about what people in other countries may have to worry about as far as putting food on the table or sleeping in a bed at night or getting a paycheck, having people around you, a support network around you being taken care of one way or the other. And I am grateful for that, like I said. And I do recognize that it is a privilege to be able to live in a house and to have a family and to have food on the table and to have a gym to train at and training partners that I love and respect and have coaches that I respect and, and appreciate and all that goes with that, all the intangibles. But then when it was taken away from me, how frustrated I was at first, and yet I was still running off of the, the fuel of the schedule and the discipline and the good habits. And then two weeks, three weeks into this, four weeks into this, it has been now, and I see this for, uh, with a lot of people that I uh, follow online, we're becoming more and more creative with the ways that we um, figure out our workout routines and we become more creative and imaginative about the way that we do our workouts and challenge ourselves in the absence of a gym and the absence of training partners, for example, especially when it comes to jujitsu and Muay Thai, where you kind of really do need a training partner to spar. And at a certain point, kicking the bag and rolling alone and doing drills and so forth and watching technique videos and whatnot. It's not enough. I'll be blunt. It's not enough. It's like trying to be sober without having a, a sobriety group or a, or a support network around you of people, interpersonal relationships for those moments when you say, I really need to meet with you and have a cup of coffee and discuss something I'm struggling with in regards to addiction, for example. And what this pandemic has done for me and what I see happening online is the longer that the quarantine goes on, the more people tend towards extremes. I think their personalities come out, both the good and the bad traits. And I see a lot of paranoid people. I see a lot of anxious people. I see a lot of fearful people. It's gotten to the point now where neighbors are calling up health and human services and reporting their neighbors for going out during the quarantine or for suspecting their neighbors of violating the shelter at home order. In California right now, the mayor of Los Angeles is offering, offering financial rewards for people who inform on their neighbors for leaving their house during a shelter at home order. And as I was saying to a friend yesterday, if you want to know which is easier to succumb to a totalitarian government or to rebel against an overly authoritarian government, now is when you're finding out how easy it is for people to align themselves with a totalitarian regime. Because all you have to do is offer people a few bucks to inform on their neighbors when it's a time of fear and, and crises, and they're happy to do it. And people that already have developed bad habits will continue to make bad choices. People that have good habits will continue to make good choices. But it is a conscious effort, in my opinion. If you have developed good habits, then when that support structure is taken away from you and it's not, the interpersonal relationships aren't readily available to you. You can't go work out. You can't go train. You don't have easy access, interpersonal access, face-to-face -face access with the people that you depend on. All of a sudden now you start to realize how much of your discipline was motivation, the motivation to see those people, the motivation to train with those people, the motivation to talk with and interact with those people. 
and that a lot of what passes for discipline, self-discipline, is really just motivated by the people around you. And that when that is taken away, do you then have the self-discipline to push yourself through the workouts, to push yourself to maintain a training schedule, to go out and run regularly and to lift regularly and to, like in my case, I have a family, I have children, and so I teach them jujitsu and I teach them technique and roll with my oldest. Actually, I was rolling with my two-year-old the other day too, so I can't say that. But the point is that I recognize that, and I'm sure you do too, that bad habits have a certain momentum and inertia and gravity to them. And that once you start making bad choices, it's easy at a certain point to keep making them. It's like I tell my kids about lying. The first time a child lies, it, it, there's a sense of overwhelming shame because you know whether you have, you don't really have the language to describe the feeling, the emotion, but you know you've betrayed your parents and you know that you feel shame. And yet there's also this sense of power that comes with lying because you got away with something and you're not going to be punished for it. So that the next time you need to take responsibility for a bad decision and you lie about it and you get away with it that time too, every time after the first time you lie, it gets easier and easier to lie, especially when you don't get caught because of that sense of power. Likewise, with bad habits, there is a sense of accomplishment even with bad habits, even with choosing to eat the wrong foods or put the wrong kind of information into your ears or associate with the wrong kinds of people. Developing bad habits has a certain gravity to it and it pulls at you at a certain point. And then all of a sudden you wake up and you've made not just five or six or a couple dozen bad decisions, but your whole life now is simply bad habits. And you've surrounded yourself with immoral people and unethical people and people that also themselves have developed these bad habits. And they don't eat well and they don't think well as a consequence. And emotionally, they're a roller coaster or a tornado because they put garbage into their body and so garbage comes out. But with good habits, and I've talked about this before on the podcast, in my opinion, and talking with others who have more experience and wisdom on this topic than I do, good habits are harder to develop and harder to maintain because they require effort and they require work. Bad habits don't require a lot of effort. Smoking crack doesn't require a lot of effort. Eating a whole bag of Doritos and a pizza in one sitting and drinking a two liter of pop while you watch Netflix, it requires very little effort actually. And over time, as your stomach expands and your taste buds change and your palate ad adapts itself to the flavors, eating a pizza and drinking a two liter is just normal and it's easy. It doesn't require any self-discipline. It doesn't require any impulse control. You just pick up the phone and order it and it's at your door in 20 minutes or less. But to develop good habits, to develop discipline, it is a muscle in my opinion, or at least like a muscle, and it requires constant attention and constant commitment to maintaining discipline. And if you want discipline to increase and grow and you want to be strong when it comes to discipline, then you got to work at it. And anyone who has challenged themselves mentally, for example, to work through a, pro, a problem or a puzzle or a challenge, anyone who's challenged them physically to go one more round or to sprint to the finish line rather than walk when you see the finish line in sight, whenever you decide, I'm not going to let off the gas, I'm going to accelerate through this. It requires work. It requires effort. It requires focus and concentration. And that's why you won't meet a lot of people with self-discipline. You just won't. 
because it's just easier to fall back into bad habits. And that's why most people that I meet anyways, most people I know, because of their choices and they're choosing the bad over the good, it's garbage in and garbage out and they think nothing of it because so many people around them, that's their normal. And in that situation, then the person who is disciplined, the person who has devoted themselves to making good decisions, developing good habits, they're the outlier. They're the one who's on the outside looking in. They're the weirdo. And people look at you and say, I just don't understand why you have to be different. I don't understand why you have to be so contradictory, you know, contradictory all the time and why you can't just go along and, and just do what we're doing. Why do you always have to second guess it? And I think this is the point is that it's not that we can never take a break and we can never have a bag of Doritos. I actually had a bag of Doritos last week and it tasted like garbage. So if nothing else, I like having those moments where I eat that thing, that donut or that bag of Doritos or a can of Coke or something like that. Because what I realize when I do that is that the nostalgia for that and the, the craving that you know kind of manifests for me, it's an illusion. It's a sugar-coated lie, as Jocko calls it. But that once I eat that Dorito or I drink that can of pop or whatever, and I, I taste the artificiality of it on my mouth in my mouth and realize this is five minutes of mouth pleasure for most people, and then you swallow it and an hour, two, three hours later, you're hungry again. And it doesn't satisfy. That's the thing. Garbage never satisfies. Whether it's intellectual, emotional, or just physical garbage, it never satisfies you. You're always wanting more of it. And... So eating that once in a while, having that moment once in a while, for me anyways, it, it's a moment of clarity. It's like a sobriety moment where I eat this thing and I, I feel bad. I feel shame about myself because I broke down and I gave in. But I'm also saying to myself, I'm not a monk and I'm not a world champion jujitsu practitioner. I'm not going to be moving to Thailand and making a career out of Muay Thai fighting. I'm not trying to be a 48-year-old bodybuilder. And so I can have those moments and I can relax and I can enjoy myself. I can entertain myself. I can play a game of Halo with my nine-year-old and have fun doing it and not worry about, oh, I should be jogging right now or lifting right now or doing something right now to improve myself. Because I am doing something by playing Halo with my nine-year-old. I'm improving our relationship. I'm stopping and saying, my time with you is more important and I appreciate it. And let's do this thing that we both enjoy doing together. But then when I eat the bag of Doritos or I drink the Coke or whatever, Mexican Coke, of course, Mexican Coke with the real cane sugar in it, that stuff is the bomb. I love it. And it's one, it's definitely one of my weaknesses. But I drink it and then I bounce off the walls for 20 minutes from the, from the sugar. And then I come down and realize, was it worth it? Not really. But it was worth it in the sense that it reminded me of what I've given up and that going back to that isn't... There's nothing good about it and there's nothing enjoyable about it after the fact. And it's not what I want anymore. It's not who I am anymore. That person that used to sit down and eat that bag of Doritos and drink uh, one or two bottles of Mexican Coke during the day and sat in front of the TV and played video games on his day off for nine hours, 10 hours. Yes, I would do that. Fallout 3 is Fallout 3 after all. And... That was just my, my life. It was, leth it was lethargy and it was sedentary and it was bad habits and bad choices, garbage in, garbage out. In fact, I just looked at a picture of myself on Facebook the other day that Facebook does that on this day thing and it was my ordination and of now and I just looked so bloated and unhealthy. My psoriasis was really bad and, and it was red and inflamed 
And at the time, I couldn't see that. At the time, I, I thought, well, I'm, I'm fine. I'm normal. I'm relatively healthy. But now looking back at it, when I am healthy, I realize how unhealthy I was and how easy it was at the time because you're, I was surrounded by other unhealthy people to think of myself as being healthy, even though I had early onset arthritis in my hands and my ankles and my knees and my hips and my lower back. And I was depressed all the time and anxious all the time and angry all the time and arguing with people on Facebook about irrelevant things all the time and in in conflict with people interpersonally all the time. And I wasn't sleeping well and I wasn't exercising and I wasn't feeding myself intellectually and emotionally and physically with good things. And so of course I didn't have good habits and of course I didn't surround myself with good people and encouraging people and people that motivated me and people that could give me the wisdom and the counsel to keep on going in this direction and to take the hard road, the uphill road and to make the hard decisions to strengthen myself. It's easy when you're surrounded by people that are toxic and it's easy when you're surrounded by people who are poisoning themselves and putting garbage into their bodies to fall in with them. Because like I said, it has a certain gravity to it and at a certain point it gets momentum and then it has its own inertia and it's just who you are. It's normal. But I think embracing that life is a dichotomy and that there are those moments when we should take a step back and have those those debriefs with ourselves, those really harsh, self-critical, self-analytical moments where we can step back and say, I can do this because I've chosen a healthy path and I've chosen a life that is productive and positive and constructive. And I've surrounded myself with those types of people as well. Then it's safe within that context. I think it's actually very, not only safe, but very healthy to take a step back and be objective and look at yourself through the window of your house and analyze yourself and say, if I was a stranger looking through the window of my house right now at myself, what would I think about this person that I see? Do I see a happy, productive person? Do I see a healthy person? Or do I see a person who's unhealthy and isn't positive and is making bad choices? Which person would I see? And then ultimately, which person do I want to be? Which person would I prefer to be if I had that choice? And so for me, that bag of Doritos, that bottle of Mexican Coke, whatever it might be, that cigar I share with a friend, just taking that moment to step back and say, what have I given up? for the life that I have today. And when I go back and visit those things that I've given up, because that nostalgia has taken over and those cravings kind of well up within me, what I find is that I don't really miss the things I gave up and left behind because they never actually helped me be a better person. They never helped me grow in a positive and productive direction. And that revisiting those things, like nostalgia, like I've talked about before, it's good to visit the past. It's just not good to live there. And I think there's nothing wrong with revisiting your past and maybe those choices that you look back on now with regret. And you say to yourself, man, I really wish I wouldn't have, or I shouldn't have, or if I had to do it over. Well, the fact of the matter is, if you're alive today, you do have the chance to do it over. In fact, I heard something great the other day. There's this old saying that you made your bed, now lie in it. Meaning, well, you do, you get what you deserve. And then this person said, well, my grandma used to say, you know, whenever somebody says you made your bed, now lie in it. Well, that's stupid. Get out of bed and remake your bed. And I thought that's brilliant. That's old world wisdom right there. That's, pre- that's, that's wisdom that's been lived in. That's a life right there. Is that if you make your bed and you lay in it and you don't like the way you made your bed, get out of bed, and remake your bed. I mean, that's Admiral McRaven in a nutshell, right? Make your bed. Every morning, get up and make your bed. All right. 
I walked in the bedroom and I do this all the time too, which is weird in a practical sense that I heard this and then I thought about, yeah, I do this all the time. I'll get up in the morning, I'll make my bed. Some days I'm kind of sloppy about it because I'm half awake or I'm just like, I need coffee right now. I don't have time to worry about whether the corners of my bed are perfect. And then I'll have my cup of coffee and I'll do whatever I'm doing, have a conversation with my wife, whatever. And then I'll come back in the bedroom and I'll look at the bed and I'll remake the bed. And is that a negative? No, of course not. It's only a negative. I, I look at the bed and say, ah, whatever, who cares? Then it's a negative because I've chosen the bad choice. I made the bad choice, which is the choice of uh, not to be disciplined and to not be the best version of myself that I can be today. And to say, are you satisfied with the way you made your bed? No, of course you're not. You know you're not. Okay, well then remake your bed. And that way when you come back in the bedroom in another hour or five or at the end of the day, you'll be satisfied because you made your bed. And so I think that's a, a trap that we tend to fall into, which is to think, well, I don't like the way that I did this, but what can I do about it? And the answer is you can make your bed again. You can make a better choice next time. You can remember, oh, the last time I had that bag of Doritos, it didn't satisfy me and it didn't, it didn't fill me with any sense of, of um, happiness, satisfaction. So maybe this time when I'm tempted, when those cravings come up within me again, I remember the last time and say, hey, you know what? Nah, I'll, I'll save my cheat for something else. And there's donuts on the counter at home, speaking of. <laughs> and I love donuts. Oh, I love donuts, especially cream-filled donuts. But it's the same thing. I eat a donut and then I'm hungry for food. You ever do that? Where you eat something and you're just, you're so certain that this thing is going to satisfy your cravings. And then you eat it and it actually makes you hungry for food. That's all. And especially if it, if it fills you up, you're full, but you're now hungry for real food. <laughs> and you're frustrated with yourself because you wasted the time eating this when you could have been eating something delicious and more satisfying. So I think that's a part of what me is after is that even when you struggle with clinical depression or you struggle with eating disorder or whatever it might be, that really gets you down, that causes you to wake up in the morning and say, yeah, that person on Instagram who's got that killer workout today, that, that workout of the day, that CrossFit regimen, that kettlebell workout, that jujitsu technique, that Muay Thai challenge, this person made this d delicious, healthy meal in the kitchen. That's just not for me today. For me today, I got to get out of bed. Step one. Step two, I got to make my bed. Step three, I got to do the next best thing. And this is something that I learned in recovery and in sobriety is that don't worry about living your best life now. Don't worry about the whole day. Don't even worry about the next hour. Just make the next best choice. Get out of bed. Okay, what's next? Make my bed. Okay, what's next? Make myself the best cup of coffee that I can make for myself right now and enjoy it. Okay, what's next? Get dressed and get ready for the day. Okay, what's next? And then you just do that until you get to the end of the day. And then all of a sudden, that day when you woke up and said, this is going to be a rough one. And you got up and said, I'm, I can't work out today. I don't have the motivation. I just, I can't, I don't have the energy to do anything except maintain. You get to the end of that day that you thought, well, I, I'm going to barely be able to maintain relative normalcy today, all of a sudden, all of those best decisions in the moment have added up to a great day. And so even though you woke up saying to yourself, I just, I don't know how I'm going to make it through today. I made a good decision. I got out of bed. 
And then the next best decision was to make my bed. And then the next best decision was to make a great cup of coffee. And the next best decision was to dress sharp and to groom myself and to take care of myself. All of a sudden, every next best decision is a whole day. And now instead of having a bad life, you had a good day. And that's another meme, of course, is that you're not having a bad life. You're just having a bad day. And sometimes you have a bad moment, but that's not who you are. It doesn't define your whole life. It just defines that moment. And that if you don't like the bed, get up and remake it. If you're having a bad moment, take a step back and ask, well, how can I reverse directions? How can I change this? And sometimes it is as simple as just make the next best decision, the, me- the next best productive, constructive, positive decision for yourself. Which then brings me to my final point about the dichotomy of life, the paradox. And I wrote this, think for yourself so you can be considerate of others. Learn how to fight so you can defend others. Become stronger so you can encourage others. Pursue knowledge so you can teach others. Laugh at your own absurdities so you can sympathize with others. And embrace the fact that life is a dichotomy. The responsibility is on you, but it's not about you. And I know that if we don't hold that tension, if we don't embrace the dichotomy of life, what I just said is complete nonsensical, just twaddle. But if we don't think for ourselves and instead we allow others to think for us and we cede that responsibility, it's hard for us to consider others and their opinions and their beliefs and their philosophies because we can't think for ourselves. If we let others think for us, it's kind of difficult, if not impossible, to consider what other people think and why they think that and even then have a conversation about it because I'm not thinking for myself. Other people are telling me how to think. And so and then when someone comes within my line of sight who I don't agree with or who I go, well, you think different than I do or you talk different than I do, because I've let other people think for me, it's impossible for me to consider their opinion because I'm not thinking. Other people have said, this is the truth. This is right. This is wrong. This is the way it should be. And they're wrong or they're right, depending on what I tell you to do. And then you just accept it. And so you can't consider others unless you first learn to think for yourself. Likewise, if you don't learn how to fight, how can you defend other people? You're going to defend someone. You don't know how to fight. How are you going to defend them? Now there's two victims, not one. Pursue knowledge so you can teach other people. What is the, pur- what is the purpose of learning anything, of knowing anything, if it's not to teach other people what you've learned and share that knowledge with them? And if the knowledge that you have pursued, if the knowledge that you've grasped isn't for the betterment of others, then what is the purpose of pursuing knowledge? Just to prove how much better you are than other people? Become stronger so you can encourage other strong people. Encourage other people to become stronger. Weak people try and tear other people down so they can stand on their backs, their shoulders to make themselves feel stronger. Weak people tear down other people in order to feel strong. Strong people don't have to do that because they're strong. It's like I was saying to a friend yesterday, because I have self-confidence, I don't really care what other people think about me or say about me. I don't care about other people's opinions, especially those opinions of people who don't matter to me. But I can only say I don't care about other people's opinions of me if I first have self-confidence. But the dichotomy is because I have self-confidence, I can listen to other people's opinion of me and take a step back and say, do they have a point? If I don't have self-confidence, if I'm insecure and someone criticizes me, I'm automatically going to take that as an attack and I'm going to retaliate. 
and I'm going to attack them and I'm going to try and tear them down and I'm going to insult them and I'm going to curse them and I'm going to mock them because I'm insecure about myself and I'm trying to defend myself and deflect that, that shaming away from myself and back on the source versus if you have self-confidence, then when someone says something to you, you know who you are. And if someone, I teach this to my kids all the time because of course kids are brutal about this because they're just discovering that words can actually hurt or uh, help other people. And that sense of power that kids discover with words, it's really remarkable to be around them when they discover that. And so one of my kids will come home and say, so-and-so was calling me this name today, or they were making fun of my clothes, they were making fun of my hair, the way I talk or whatever. And I'll ask them, well, is that true? And they'll say, no. And then I ask, well, then why does it bother you if you know what they say isn't true? And we have this conversation then about self-confidence and about the truth, and about being able to laugh at yourself. That's why I can laugh at my own, the absurdities that, you know, that are Donovan are so numerous. And I, not, I didn't used to be able to laugh at myself because I lacked self-confidence, and I didn't have integrity or dignity. And so it was difficult for me to laugh at myself. And so when other people laughed at me, it really made me angry and it upset me because I felt like I was the butt of a joke and that they were mocking me and tearing me down and belittling me, when in fact they were just trying to have fun. And I was more than happy to tear other people down and laugh at their shortcomings. But when people did that to me, oh, it was terrible. But if you can laugh at your own absurdities, and it's easier then to sympathize with others, because you can recognize that your vulnerabilities and weaknesses and your shortcomings, they're not the be-all, end-all. They're not what identify you and, and define your life. They're just the absurd things that you do. And hopefully they don't end up getting you hurt too badly. But I say dumb things and I do dumb things all the time. And I have to laugh at myself because it's so absurd. Because most of the time I think I've got my life pretty well in hand. And then I do something that shows me that I don't. And rather than get angry about it and pout and throw a temper tantrum, I just laugh at myself. And if there's other people, I point at it and go, look, look at what I just did. I can't even believe this. You gotta, you, this is so remarkable. We all have to stop and marvel at this thing that I just did that is so terribly absurd and dumb. But because of that, it's easy for me, it's easier for me to sympathize with other people when they struggle with their shortcomings and they're challenged by their idiosyncrasies and they're uncomfortable in their own skin. Because I can say, hey man, it's okay to laugh at yourself. It's okay to make fun of those things about yourself that make you go, ugh, what's wrong with me? And then ultimately what it allows us to do is embrace that life is a dichotomy. We're not either self-confident or lacking in self-confidence. We're not disciplined or undisciplined. We're not knowledgeable or dumb. We're not great fighters or losers that can't defend themselves. We're not people who think for themselves or let other people think for them. But rather most of the time, at least for myself, we are always in that struggle and we are always wrestling against ourselves and at war with ourselves and also in conflict with those around us. Because there are plenty of people, of course, who want to think for us and who want us to get in line and join the group and just go along with things. But if you can think for yourself, it allows you to be reflective. And if you're self-reflective, you can then look at other people and ask questions. Why do you believe this? Why did you say this? Why are you doing this? Likewise, if you know how to fight, you, you also know, I don't need to fight to prove anything to myself. And I'm familiar with violence and conflict. I'm comfortable with violence and conflict. And therefore, if necessary, I can defend another person. 
who is being attacked. But likewise, I can diffuse and de-escalate a situation because I recognize the consequences of violence and I'd prefer not to get in a fight with you because there's too many variables that could result in both of us being hurt horribly, catastrophically. And I love learning and I love being curious and learning new things. But almost more than that, I love sharing those things that I've learned with others and seeing, like, I like reaction videos to like comedians, for example, or to music. And because it's like I'm sharing something with somebody else, especially if they're discovering something for the first time that I've known for a long time, whether it's Bill Burr, the comedian, or like Alice in Chains or some group from the 90s, when I see younger people, especially millennials or Gen Z folks, discover this stuff. And I see the excitement in their eyes. It reignites the, the excitement in me to go back and revisit those things. And to become stronger, like I said, it sets us free from having to put other people down and make ourselves feel strong because when we are truly strong, it's so easy to encourage other people to grow and to be strong and to be better. And also when we're strong, it's easy for us to bend down and help other people up when they fall. It's also easier for us to help ourselves get back up when we fall down too. And we can laugh at ourselves and sympathize with others because life is a dichotomy. And yes, the responsibility for thinking for ourselves and learning how to fight and pursuing knowledge and becoming stronger and laughing at our absurdities, the responsibility for those things is entirely on you as an individual. But it's not about you. You do all those things to improve yourself and to grow so that you can help other people grow and become stronger and more confident and get dignity and grow in courage and integrity. And I think that's what Mia's reflection helped me with this week is, or last week, is to step back and say, yeah, there are times when I'm not going to want to lift or run or train, but that's why I'm constantly working on discipline. That's why I'm constantly focused on making good, positive, productive, constructive choices for myself. Because ultimately, it does benefit me, but I also benefit from the fact that it helps other people. And I like being able to help other people. It gives me a sense of joy and satisfaction being able to help other people. Cooking for myself is nowhere near as exciting and gives me nowhere as much satisfaction as cooking for other people and then seeing their face and hearing them describe what I've cooked for them. It's satisfying because I did something for somebody else and they enjoyed it and I gave them joy. Or when I show my kids a jujitsu technique, like today at 4.30, we got another training session. And to see the, the light go on behind their eyes when they get that technique and to know that I was a part of that and that hopefully that thing, however it takes shape in their mind and however it finds its way out in their life, whether it's just jujitsu or whether it's their whole life, I got to be a part of that. I got the privilege of being a part of that and being a part of the person that they're going to become, good, bad, or indifferent. And that, yeah, there's going to be days when we're not feeling it. And there's going to be days when we don't want to be disciplined and we don't feel motivated. And there's going to be days when we want to make a bad choice and take a break to play a video game or to just watch our favorite TV show or eat that bag of Doritos or whatever. And that's fine. One moment to go back and revisit that thing that we left behind is not going to destroy us so long as we have taken all of the steps and made all the choices to become stronger. And like for myself anyways, to wrap this up, the ultimate thing for me then when I go back and I do those seemingly small inconsequential things is those are reminders to me 
as much as in the present tense, those moments of gratitude, those moments of joy and satisfaction in the present tense, going back and eating that bag of Doritos and drinking that Coke or sitting on the couch and playing video games for an afternoon, whatever, it reminds me of who I used to be and who I am now. And it reminds me that the person that I used to be is dead and I killed him. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to do that to myself. And that whoever I am today, hopefully at the end of the day, will be a better version of the man that I was yesterday. And on and on it goes. And that for me, it's no longer about reaching the goal. It's just about the struggle. It's about the challenge. And that whenever I reach one of those mountaintop moments, whenever I reach one of those peaks, whenever I achieve one of my goals, you stop there for a couple seconds, you appreciate the view, and then you keep going. Because like I said, the real, for me anyways, the real joy and the real satisfaction isn't in achieving the goal. It's in the struggle. It's in the challenge. And that I think is the point is that we don't get distracted by the goals and saying, well, once I achieve my goal, then I can, I can relax. I can lay off. No, that's not how it goes. Because you achieve that goal, you get to that, that peak and you look around and go, okay, what's next? And that's the point is that in a self-destructive sense, you're just annihilating yourself one bad choice at a time. And you're always asking what's next, what bad choice is next, what self-destructive choice is next, or you can climb up and you could recognize that the challenge is the thing. The struggle is the most satisfying part. The, the struggle is in and of itself, the reward. And the goal, when you achieve it, is just that moment when you breathe, you take that breath and go, okay, I can just take a moment. I can collect myself. I can reflect on what happened and how I got here so that I can make it to the next peak. And that's life. And for those of us who are on the path, the uphill path, the right path, I would say, and for those of us who make those good choices, but also realize that you have to focus on that, you have to commit yourself to that. Sometimes it's just making the next best choice, but that you're going you're gonna to get there because the challenge is the thing. And it will make you better and it will make you stronger and you will grow as a consequence. And other people will see that and they will be attracted to it. I guarantee it. And, you know, that's the thing, man, is that we tear ourselves down and we're critical of ourselves and we do these debriefs with ourselves because we want to be stronger and we want to be more disciplined and we want to make better choices. And the way we do it is by taking those moments and saying, all right, let's be brutally honest with myself. Let's have this sobriety meeting with myself and ask myself, where am I at today, right now? And am I satisfied? And if not, get out of bed and remake your bed. Get up, do it again. You know, it's like when I do an exercise and the last rep, I don't really do it as well as the previous reps. And I'm like 10. And then my brain's like, that wasn't 10. That was more like nine and a quarter. So I'll do an extra rep or two or three extra reps to push myself to say, you could quit. There's nobody here to tell you or to see that you quit, but you know you quit. So don't quit because these little choices where you choose to quit on the last rep, it may not seem like a big deal today, but this rep will eventually turn into not working out at all and not working out at all will eventually turn into, I sat on the couch for nine hours, ate a pizza, drank a two liter of pop and played fallout three or four or whatever all day. So just that little choice, make remake the bed, that little choice to repeat that last rep and do it as well as the previous nine reps, whatever it might be, 
to sprint to the finish rather than to, to jog it in. Whatever. It is for you. Those little choices, those little moments, at least in my opinion, are really the thing that if we let them slip, they result in very negative consequences. But if we hold to ourselves to that standard that we set for ourselves, every one of those little choices makes us stronger and better and helps us to grow into the person that we want to be today. So if I can encourage you to do anything today, it's to be, what's that? To remake your bed, to make your bed again if you have to, and to make the next best choice. All right. I went on way too long today, but the coffee kicked in a little bit later than normal and I was having technical difficulties earlier and those are all excuses and excuses are lies, but I'm just having fun talking to you today. So I hope all of you are having a great day. For those of you who are Christians, I hope you have a blessed and comforting Holy Week and I will be back Sunday, Easter Sunday for a brand new episode. I don't know what I'm going to read yet or what we'll be talking about. A lot of you, judging from the number of downloads and listens, really liked the Gilgamesh stuff. So maybe I'll do the Song of Roland this week or another heroic epic. But nonetheless, thank you so much for supporting the podcast and listening. Thank you so much for sharing the podcast on social media and promoting it. I really do appreciate it. And thank you for those of you who have supported the podcast financially. It, I truly appreciate that. It's really remarkable to watch every week as more and more people listen to the podcast and to watch it kind of grow very slowly but very steadily. I really appreciate all of you for that, and I love you for it. And I hope you benefit from this. All right, we'll see you. Love you. Peace.